Good morning. I'm actually trying an experiment. And it's not working. Good morning. We're super excited to be able to be here this Palm Sunday, this beginning of a Passion Week, being able to honor God and, and to worship Him. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask for God's blessing and, and God's presence on this time as we celebrate through music, through the Word, through communion, and, and really celebrate Jesus. God, we thank You. You are so amazing and kind that You would be mindful of us that when you went to the cross for 2,000 years ago, you saw us. And you went and embraced that cross death on our behalf. Lord, today as we celebrate your entrance into Jerusalem, open the eyes of our understanding that we might see you. That we might worship you. And that we might experience your power and presence here. Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us even now. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning. This morning we worship Jesus as King. He is our King this morning. We worship Him with the word Hosanna, which is a word of praise, but it also means save us. So let's sing out to our King Jesus this morning. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. It's when we see you who we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Oh, washed away. Hosanna. Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come every among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus.
when we see you, when we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, our life feels washed away. Washed away.
heaven held its breath Till that stone was moved for good Before the Lamb had conquered death And the dead rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born The gospel truth of old shall not feel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Continue to worship King Jesus. We're going to worship by uh, our giving this morning. Ushers, come forward to receive the offering. Let me pray. God, King Jesus, we thank you that you are our King, that you are our Lord. This morning, we worship you. And we bow our knee to your footstool and ascribe the glory to your name. As we give these gifts this morning, we thank you for your provision. We do it as an act of worship and ask that you would be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Days 
college, summa cum laude. She's funny, a bit too studious, according to her boyfriend, and she tells everyone she knows that they need to be trained in CPR. Oh, and she'll take a trip to France one day, and she'll tell stories about it for the rest of her life. This party, it's meant to celebrate her first real job. It's a entry-level position. But it does provide a steady income. And it also provides a retirement plan and even comes with dental. Seems that she's well on her way. What nobody here today could possibly know is that she will become department manager in just six months. She'll start running marathons. 
She will get married and become a mom. She'll walk her friend Teresa through a chronic illness. And after all that, become CEO of the company. You see, her family and friends are celebrating what is with no idea of what is to come. It's very similar for Israel on that first Palm Sunday. You see, they all line the streets, crowds fighting for the best view of the king, who would be even greater than King David himself. They prayed so long. For generations they prayed. And here he was. And so, that's why they grabbed their palm branches, right? And they celebrated him because in their minds, he was going to free them from Rome. And so they all shouted the same thing. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, they celebrated what they knew about Jesus, that he was a good teacher, that he was a miracle healer. He was a divine prophet. But what they couldn't begin to imagine is he rode into town that day, he would be the fulfillment of prophecy, would bring healing for sin, he would show the world what love truly is. They had no idea that the one riding through town was the king of kings all over the world. The past kings, the present kings, the kings to come, king of all kings. Paul said it so well in Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21 when he said to him who is able to do more than we could ever hope for or imagine, to him be the glory through all generations forever and ever. <laughs> and so, just like them, we cannot imagine what is to come. But as we join in the chorus of their voices, celebrating what Jesus has done, may we also celebrate the God the Savior, the King of all kings, who can do more than we can ever imagine. When it comes to Easter, what do you celebrate? Many people will celebrate an event. They'll celebrate religious events because we've always done it that way. They'll celebrate a lot of different things about the events, but when it comes to Easter, do you really celebrate Jesus? The common phrase today that, that I hear quite often is, is this, perception is reality. And I was really wrestling with this, this whole concept of how people perceive Easter and, and how this perception is reality has really changed how we perceive truth and, and what is truth that is in this. In fact, so many people will hold their perception as truth in the face of truth and ignore truth that is, that is right in front of them. In fact, they'll say, my perception is truth, and you need to adjust your truth to my perception. 
And there's a lot of people that are entitled to their own perception of what truth is and, and they challenge it. Here's the problem. What do you do when your perception collides with truth? What do you do when your perception that you believe in collides in with actual truth, with absolute truth? I can tell you this, absolute truth will prevail. Truth is not relative. There is an absolute truth. And the secular worldview says this, there is no truth but personal perception. As you believe, so things are. The biblical worldview is this. There's only one truth. God's truth. And his name is Jesus. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. My challenge to you this next week is to set aside your perceptions of Palm Sunday and Easter and all of these other things and seek out the truth. Seek out the truth of, of what Easter resurrection is all about. There is a group of people that had gathered together on Palm Sunday to celebrate Jesus. They celebrated their perception of Jesus, but they had absolutely no idea who was Jesus. They were celebrating their perception of what Jesus had come to do, but they had absolutely no idea what he really came to do. There was a group of people there that had a perception that, that Jesus had come to deliver them from the Roman government. There was a group of people that were there that hated Jesus and saw him as a problem. So as we come into the, our text this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. I want to take a look at Palm Sunday. You ever wonder where Palm Sunday actually began? It wasn't like it was a day on the calendar that Jesus says, um, yeah, Sunday is Palm Sunday, I need to go to Jerusalem on that day. No, in fact, when we take a look at Palm Sunday, and I, I, I had to look it up because I didn't know. You can Google just about anything, right? I found out that Palm Sunday actually began late in the 4th century. And it, it was adopted from the, uh, a gal by the uh, name of Etheria, and it was somewhere 381 to 384, and it was the, within the pilgrimage of Etheria that a Christian woman decided to go on a spiritual pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And as she was coming into this pilgrimage, she would get involved in a procession that would celebrate and, and follow through on the practice of Palm Sunday within that. And from that time... They would celebrate Palm Sunday, and then they would have Palm Sunday, and then they would take the palms from that Palm Sunday. They would keep them and then burn them for ashes and set up for Ash Wednesday the following year. Very interesting when you think about the history behind it. So since, since that fourth century, Palm Sunday has been something that, that the church has practiced. But I can tell you this, Palm Sunday's date, original date, really goes much earlier than that within this. And, and we'll cover it in a, in, in a bit, but it was actually spoken of by Daniel the prophet. 
as he would explain the 70 weeks of Daniel within that. And what was the prophecy? That the Messiah would come on this particular day. And that he would be celebrated and cut off from his people. So many times we look at Palm Sunday as this day of celebration and all of these things and the palm branches and all of this stuff. But we really need to have a clear perspective of what Palm Sunday really is about. It's the beginning of the passions of Jesus during that week within that. And it is time to, to be able to celebrate Jesus, the long-awaited Jesus. Israel had been looking for Jesus for a very long time. In fact, we read in Luke seven nineteen, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for somebody else? Do you see Jesus? Are you expecting him? Do you realize that Jesus can come back for his church at any moment? And that would be a good thing. We expect to see him. But a lot of people, they see Jesus, but they really don't see him. They see the idea of Jesus and this concept of, of worship, but they really don't see him. Question. Why is it important to really see Jesus? Because your eternal destiny depends on it. How you perceive and see Jesus determines your eternal destiny within that. And so within this, we see Jesus coming into town and the crowd honoring him and celebrating him. They, were, they weren't celebrating their Savior. We need to adjust our view. So I'm going to ask that you stand as we read through our passage this morning. Luke chapter 19, 28 to 44. And after he had gone, or after he had said these things, he was going on ahead and going into Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called the Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you there as you enter, and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, and untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road, and as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice and all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, he says, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated.
there is this huge danger to in, in Christianity today to see Jesus without seeing him as your savior. To be able to worship the concept of a Jesus, to worship the concept of religion and Christianity, but not really see Jesus in, in who he is. Now, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. One of the first points that I want you to understand is this. Jesus chose this day to come. Why? Because he wanted to reveal himself. Jesus, is, it's not about you got to go play hide and seek with him. It's not like you're saying Marco and Jesus saying Polo. No. He came and he revealed himself on this specific day and he came to Jerusalem to reveal himself to the Jews. And it, again, it wasn't like it was a hidden thing. It was a timing thing within this. In fact, we know this after these things, after what things? After the things that he had said in the previous verses in chapter 19, specifically 1911, it says, And while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. What was their perception? We're near Jerusalem. We've been three years into this. And Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem and he's going to establish his kingdom. What kingdom? His political kingdom. He's going to give us deliverance from the Roman Empire. He's going to set us free from the Romans and all the things that are going on. This taxation and this slavery and all the things that we are bound to the Romans. He was coming up from Jericho. And he was going to Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of the Passover that was in that. He had already informed his disciples, though, that when he goes to Jerusalem... He's going to go and he's going to suffer many things. In fact, in John 12, verse 16, it says these things his disciples didn't understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him, that they had done these things to him. All these these things. What are the these things? It's the ongoing conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they're like, no, 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 no. Not going to happen. You're going to go to Jerusalem, establish your kingdom. They saw Jesus, but they didn't perceive who he was. And it didn't stop Jesus from fulfilling the timetable, but he was moving forward according to the timetable. What is the timetable? The timetable of Jesus' arrival by date was March 30th, 33 AD. You say, Carrie, how can you be so sure of the exact date? Because the exact date was prophesied by Daniel, the prophet, much earlier within this. In fact, we can read about this in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. As Daniel would prophesy concerning the 70 weeks that are determined against the nation of Israel, it says this. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin... To make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince. There will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It will be built again in the plaza and the moat, even in the times of distress. Note. Then after the 
62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, even to the end. There will be devastations determined. So how do we know? I've got a time chart for you on this timeline. And in the timeline it shows that it was 483 years or 173,880 days from the degree of building the temple that happened on March 5th, 444 B.C. That would, that would be in here. So until this time, until Jesus would come, we know it's March 30th of 33 A.D. It was a specific time and timetable. It was, the, it was the sixth day before the Passover when the lambs would be celebrated and selected for the, the sacrifice for the Passover meal within this. We know exactly the time that Jesus came in. It fulfilled prophecy. And you say, well, Carrie, why is that important? That's because God has a timeline. We don't always get it. But there are some things about the timeline that he says will happen. Palm Sunday, it happened on exactly the day that God had determined. And again, you, you think about this as Jesus is approaching. All of this is going on. And the disciples are clueless. Israel's clueless. The whole city is filled with people that had, had moved there for the Passover feast. Within this, and so you got to wrap your head around that whole environment. Now Jesus is coming from Jericho, and we have a little uh, map that will show you. He's coming from Jericho this way to Bethany. He'll go up over the Mount of Olives to Bethphage. Bethany is where uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, and Jesus would hang out there. This was about a two to three mile walk. It's not very far, and he'd go to Bethphage, the house of unripe figs. And then he would go to the Temple Mount that was here across the Kidron Valley that is there. So this whole while, Jesus is on his way to do what? Die. He's on his way to, to give himself. He would go across this main road to the gate that's called the Golden Gate, East Gate. It was a gate that would go right up into the Temple Mount. It's blocked today. You can't get there. They put a cemetery right in front of it, and then they put bricks in there. Why? Because Jesus is going to come back that same way within this. He crosses the Mount of Olives to go to the triumphal entry. He comes in from this east side, and he would descend down. Now, Mount of Olives is pretty significant. Why is the Mount of Olives significant? Well, a number of things happen concerning the Mount of Olives. Jesus would come down Palm Sunday Road. We call it Palm Sunday Road. It was the main road. It would be like Highway 30 to the east side. He would come down that. He would also ascend from the Mount of Olives. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he would pray in the garden. And what's more important is Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives. Note, in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 4 to 5, says this, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. And you will, you will flee by the mountains. My mountains for the valley of the mountains will reach Azel, 
And yes, you will flee, just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And then the Lord my God will come with all his holy ones with him. When Jesus returns to establish his kingdom as the, the king of kings and his millennial reign, he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. What we have is what's called an inclusio. It's a bracket. Jesus is coming and he is king and he comes over the top of the Mount of Olives. But when he comes back again, he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two. In fact, when we've done our studies in Ezekiel, it talks about a river that flows from the throne of God that flows through this crevice and will flood down towards the Dead Sea and turn that whole valley of the Dead Sea into a life-filled region. Mount of Olives is special within this. So what does Jesus do? He gets up to the top and he instructs his disciples, guys, I want, I want you two to go and I want you to go to this house and I want you to go find a cult that hasn't been written and I want you to take it. And if someone stops you, and they probably will, and if someone stops you, just tell them the Lord has need of it. Now, in our day and age, we would call that carjacking. <laughs> we think about this. Jesus does something incredible. He tells his disciples, I want you to go and I want you to take this donkey, this colt that had never been ridden. Why? Because it was necessary, as Jesus is revealing himself, that he reveals himself according to the prophecies that have been given so that no one says, I never saw it coming. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 declare... Receive greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt of a foal of a donkey. Note, and I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse of Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus will come back and he will ride on a colt. And again, you say, well, why is that important? For a Gentile, we don't get it. But for a Jew that knows the word of God and knows prophecy, these are triggers. These are things they should have seen and said, oh, look at what's going on. And he's coming in on this cult. It was important for them to understand, to be able to do that. The other thing that I think is interesting is in all of Jesus' life, did he ever showboat? Did he ever say, hey, look it, I'm God in flesh, I'm here, everybody make me king right now. In fact, what did he do every time they tried to raise him up to that kingly status? He left. He didn't want it. There was a timing thing. And he says, the Lord has need of it. Now, we're not told, and it's one of three things probably. One... When the disciples show up and says the Lord has need of it, the owner of the cult could have been a learner of Jesus at the time. And when the disciples who he could have recognized as the Lord has need of it, they said, oh, yeah, OK, that's Jesus. Go ahead and take it. The other one could be that Jesus himself had preset with the owner and said, hey, I'm going to send guys on the specific date. If they ask you for your cult, take it. Or, which I like, it was... Jesus exercising his divine knowledge, saying, go, and the Lord has need of it. Does it matter? Not really. 
other than the fact that it happened according to his will. Now, as Jesus was on this colt and he comes and he gets on the colt, the disciples, they put their coats on the back of, of the colt of the donkey. Have you ever ridden a donkey? I've, I've done donkey basketball a few times over at St. Helens High School. They're not the most comfortable animal, and they are stubborn. They are ornery. And they go where they want to go. And they got this pointy back that just kind of comes up to the top, and they are super uncomfortable. And so the disciples said, you know, Jesus, we got this for you. They take off their outer clothes, and they make kind of like this little saddle for him to be able to go. And Jesus gets on this colt, and the coats are there, and he starts coming down over Palm Sunday Road. Now, again, why is this important? There were two famous kings in Jewish history that came in on a colt. Solomon, on his coronation day, 1 Kings 133, and Jehu, who was also declared to be king, 2 Kings 9.13. And as they were coming in with Jehu, they celebrated Jehu, saying, Jehu is king. And this huge, huge gathering of the celebration of the king. As they come into this celebration, Mark and Matthew give us an account, also John, as they come in. And they're saying a word, and they're screaming a word, and they're celebrating him, and they're saying a word, and, it, and we sang it today, it's called what? Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? Save now. Save now within this. And within this, John tells us that they took branches. You ever wonder where the palm branch thing came in? John twelve thirteen says, They took palm branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now. You say, wow, Palm Sunday. Do you know there's going to be another Palm Sunday in heaven? Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. Isn't that amazing? We're going to have a party in heaven with palm branches. We're going to be celebrating and we're going to be singing. We're going to be in this, this massive crowd that is there. And verses 37 to 38 tells us that there was this crowd that came down out of the city. Now, we're going to be in Israel in March of 2024. Those of you who have been, picture in your mind now, how far is it from the east gate to the other side where the Garden of Gethsemane is? Is it very far? Can you hear what's going on? Absolutely you can and so we have another picture of the Kidron Valley that I want to show you that is here. So this is a model picture. And so this is a kind of a model of what the Garden of Gethsemane would have looked like. And the Kidron Valley is not very deep. Eastgate would have been there. And said so they would have been coming down the road this way towards the Eastgate up to the temple here. And it's, again, not very far. There's a highway that actually wraps around this way, around the southern steps. So within this, we see... This there, and they were all chanting Psalm 118.26 that says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Luke adds, Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. So then I asked myself the question, 
Peace in heaven. What does he mean, peace in heaven? What does is, what is that, that phrase really mean? It's peace with God that's waiting for you in a relationship with God in heaven. There's a peace that you can have with God in heaven. A peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind. Our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has made us enemies of God. Our sin on us, it has to be judged. And Jesus came to bring peace. Why? Because He's the Prince of Peace. So that you're no longer at war. The crowd saw Jesus as a political Savior. They didn't see Him as the Savior that would save them from their sins. How do you see Jesus this morning? Think about it. How do you see Jesus? Do you see Him as a religious figure? A good teacher? Great man? Or do you see Him as your Lord and your Savior? Because how you see Him will determine your eternal destiny. Because if you don't see Him as your Savior, you're still at war with God. And so within this, the people had the, the right psalm. They had the wrong timing, though, within this. They were looking for peace now. Jesus actually quotes this psalm that should be sung and will be sung when he returns to establish his kingdom. This is when the Jews are really going to sing. At the end of the tribulation period, they'll sing this song. In Luke 13, 34 to 35, it says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as hens gather her brood under her wings. And you wouldn't have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel, your land will be left in a desolation until you see me again. And then you're going to say, oh, Jesus, we are so glad to see you. And that is going to be a truth because the tribulation period is going to be horrible. The other thing that I think is interesting in verses 39 to 14 are those that reject. Now, again, you've got to see the tension that's going on. Thousands of people are coming out and they're laying their coats down and they got the palm branches and Jesus is going and they're celebrating and they're celebrating and, and singing. And then you've got the grumpy Pharisees. And they go to Jesus in verse 39, says some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, tell them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet. They're making too much noise. They shouldn't be worshiping you. Within this, there are some people, regardless of the presentation, regardless of the revelation of Jesus, will continue to reject him. Within this, these are the religious leaders that should have known better, should they? They were the students of the Word of God. They should have known, and they demanded silence. They were, in fact, they were already looking for a way to kill Jesus after the Passover. We know this based on Luke 22, too. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. They weren't looking for the Messiah. They were looking for job security. 
They were looking for the opportunity to, to continue on, and they demanded silence. Stop the worship. Cancel the celebration. Do we have things like that going on today? Are there people trying to cancel God? And trying to cancel the celebration and cancel the Word of God and cancel prayer? Because it challenges their presuppositions, their perspective. There's a lot of people that don't regard God as being alive. And their perception of Jesus is, is that He's just a myth or a legend. I dare you, try to prove that He's a myth or a legend. Do your homework and study. Because the truth will be revealed through the Word of God within this. Jesus refused to be canceled. In verse 40, He says, I tell you the truth. If these become silent, the stones will cry out. And so within this, Jesus refuses to acknowledge their perception. I do not accept your perception. I will not tell these people to be quiet, which is so contrary to how Jesus had operated for so long. He was accepting their worship and he was accepting their praise. As, as challenging as it was, he was accepting the public promotion within this. And he says, if these become silent, the very rocks will cry out. Are there a lot of rocks in Israel? Can you imagine the rock concert that would go on? I would have loved, I would have loved for Jesus to go, let's have some fun. Rocks, bring it. The other thing that is interesting to me is Jesus says the very rocks will cry out. And, and he's saying, nature is smarter than you. You're dumber than a rock. It's in the Bible. He's actually quoting Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 2.11, says this, Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer from its framework. The very creation gives glory to God. Every time we see a sunrise, every time we see the beauty in creation. And it's sad to me that the stones in Israel had a greater spiritual understanding of who Jesus is than the religious leaders. The ignorance that is there within that. This triumphal entry, though, was not a triumphal entry like the people thought. They thought that Jesus was going to give them this political revolution. Jesus came to die on the cross for their sins. It was triumphal. It was victorious. But it was spiritually victorious. To set man free from his sin and the penalty of that sin. There's a lot of people that will celebrate the concept of a Savior. But they refuse to recognize the one who really saved them. I'll celebrate the concept of a Savior. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. How do you know that? Well, doesn't everybody go to heaven? Well, how are you going to get to heaven? I'm a good person. I go to church. I die. No, I ain't going to get you there. The only way is through Jesus. When He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is now heartbroken. We've looked at the perception of the crowd of the perception of the Pharisees. What did Jesus see? He saw desolation. Notice, 
When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Question. How many times does the Bible record Jesus crying? Twice. He cries at the tomb of Lazarus. And he's now crying over Jerusalem. Why? Because it breaks his heart to see what rebellion and sin and death do to the people he loves. Everybody's partying and Jesus is crying. Why? Because he knows and sees their hearts that are rejecting him. Within this. And he grieves over those who are spiritually ignorant. Within this. He grieved because he knew that this is the day. Notice he says, if you had only known, even you. It's in the emphatic tense. If you had only known, even you right now. That this is the day. No, the things that make for peace. But now they've been hidden from you. They had eyes to see, but they couldn't see. They had eyes to understand, but they didn't understand. So then you have to ask the question, Jesus, what do you mean by the things that make for peace? If you had seen and if you'd known, but you don't, but if you did and you knew the things that would make for peace, what is the peace? The peace between you and God, but you don't. So destruction's coming. What are the things that make for peace? There are four. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, lordship. How do I get right with God? How do I have peace with God? Confess your sin. What does that mean? It means to see your sin the same way that God sees it. To say, God, I am a sinner separated from you because of my rebelliousness and repent from that sin. God, I want to turn away from that lifestyle of rebelling against you and be forgiven because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call upon Jesus, you'll be forgiven. And Jesus, will you be the Lord of my life? Well, now Jesus is your King. Now He's your Lord. Now you can celebrate Him. The four things that make for peace. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, lordship. Are all necessary in order to realign you with God, your Creator. But they missed it. The religious leaders were blind. They couldn't even lead the people there. And they were the blind leading the blind. Matthew fifteen fourteen says, Let them alone. They are the blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. They were also blinded by Satan. John twelve forty. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and heal them. Satan had blinded the eyes of Israel at that time to only see Jesus as a political savior. Why? Because Satan wanted Jesus dead. He thought, if I kill him, he's done. And he blew it. He didn't realize the, the capacity that Jesus had to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then Jesus prophesied. 
If you don't only know the things that make for peace and you don't, well, if you don't have peace with God, then you have destruction. 43 to 44 says this, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up barricades against you, surround you, and hem you in. In 70 A.D., Jerusalem will fall. In 70 A.D., Titus would come in and lead a Roman garrison, a Roman army against these wars and the Jewish wars that began in 66 A.D. to 70 A.D. and they would destroy the temple and scatter the people. And they would be a devastated people in a devastated land. It's divine retribution and destruction. Had it happened before? Yes. 587 B.C. Israel was rebellious, idolatrous, and they went and Jerusalem was destroyed. They went into captivity. God said, I'm going to give you another shot at it. Brings them back into the land. They blew it again. God brings them back into the land. They're there now. Will they blow it again? Absolutely they will. And the last week, the 70th week of Daniel, will happen. And at the end of that 70th week, a tribulation upon the world, but especially upon Israel that nobody has ever seen before, will bring judgment. And then Jesus will return, Revelation 19, on a white horse and destroy and take over and establish His kingdom. And every knee will bow and they will honor Him and they will say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a lot of people that celebrate a concept of the Savior. But the question is, do you really celebrate your Savior, Jesus? That's really up to you. Palm Sunday is about celebrating Jesus and realizing that, yes, it was a celebration of victory. Not victory for the Jews from the Romans, but a victory that your sins would be paid for at the cross. So now is the time to worship. Now is the time to celebrate. This Palm Sunday, we want to celebrate Lord Jesus through communion. And in a moment, the ushers are going to pass out the communion elements within this. How do you see these elements? How do you see communion? Is it a religious act? Is it a ritual? Is it just something you're doing? Is it a snack? No. Communion is your personal time, personally and corporately, to say thank you. To obediently say to Jesus, I recognize and see that you gave your body for me. I recognize and see that your blood was poured out on Calvary to forgive me of my sins. And as you hold that bread and as you hold that cup, they are reminders Tangible reminders of what Jesus has done for you. And in your heart you can say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who came to take away my sin. Thank you. The table's open to anybody who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus. The elements will be passed out. If you haven't come to that place where Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have two choices. You can accept Him right now. Having heard all that's gone on and say, Jesus, I confess my sin. And I want to turn away from my sin. Will you forgive me and be the Lord of my life? 
because you died on the cross for my sins. Then you can take communion. And I ask that you hang on to the bread and the cup till everybody's been served. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to be able to honor you with our voices, with our lives. Lord, I know that you are doing that work within us and you are bringing that hope of glory to us. God, we want to celebrate you in, in all manners of this. Lord, I know that, that, that we can praise you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but may this morning we, we worship you as the King of our life as we honor you when we take this bread and this cup in fellowship together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
the King. He's alive. He's the King. before the Lord. Let's hold the bread up. God, we thank You for this bread and all that it means. The night before You died, You took a piece of bread, You broke it, and You gave it to Your disciples. You said, take eat. This bread represents My body given for You. And as often as You do this, remember Me. For over 2,000 years, the church has been remembering you, Lord Jesus, and we'll continue to do so until you come back or you take us home. May you be honored by our worship as we celebrate what you've done. And may we rejoice knowing that the debt of our sin has been paid and we are the redeemed. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's all take the bread together. hold the cup up before the Lord. Lord Jesus, on that day, you hung on a cross and you bled from your head, your hands, your feet, and your side. From that cross, you looked at those who drove the nails into your wrists and into your feet and that mocked you. And with forgiveness in your eyes and in your heart, you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
That should have been us. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. But at the end of the day, after that time of darkness, and that time of suffering, you said, it is finished. To tell us die. Paid in full. This cup reminds us of the fact that our sins, though red as scarlet, have been washed. We've been made white as snow. Forgiven. We thank you for this cup and all that it means. And as we lift this glass before you, we ask your blessing upon it. And that you would receive the worship that is truly due to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all take the cup together. Thank you, Lord. As is our practice, in response to communion in that time, we take up a very special offering that goes to meeting people's physical needs. These are benevolent gifts. Please don't feel obligated to give. But if God puts it on your heart to give towards this fund, it only goes towards meeting people's needs. Physical needs, roofs, ramps, medicine, whatever the case may be. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your provision and your blessing. Lord, it's with a heart of gratitude that we give. And we give unto the people. Lord, I pray that, that the recipients of these dollars would know that they came from you. That it's from, from you through us to others to meet their needs. And as we close out our time, may we honor you and worship you with hearts that are rejoicing. Hosanna. Save now.
Hosanna, Lord, save now, please. As we worship you, we worship a risen Savior, our Lord Jesus. Not a concept, not a religion, not an idea. And as we go out this week, may we celebrate you, Lord Jesus, and share the good news that we are saved and and, and others can be saved. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move on our hearts to give truth and love and light. And may we see you, Lord Jesus, our risen Savior. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And praise Jesus, and we'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.